official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So who is this Ethiopian? Let's start off with his story. Well, the word Ethiopian didn't actually mean somebody from the country Ethiopia. It was a Greek word, and it just referred to people of dark skin. And it turns out that this African was from a region called Nubia. And Nubia was uh, was um, in what is present-day Sudan. And in this uh, region of Nubia was the kingdom of, of Kush, and the capital was Meroe. And uh, you may think of Egypt as the place to go see pyramids, but um, there were actually pyramids in Nubia. I don't know if we have, uh, if we have, ooh, we have, uh, I think, a prior slide with a picture of the pyramids of Nubia. So if we have that, then we'll get a picture of what it might be like if you go to Sudan and see the ruins of this city called Meroe. Well, this was ruled uh, by a queen, and she would have had many royal servants, including a number of eunuchs. And eunuchs were men who had been castrated as boys to ensure lifelong um, loyalty to the one to whom they were in service, in this case, the queen. Um, because you see, it was believed that if you, um, if you couldn't have a family and kids, you would remain faithful to the, the monarch or the person to whom you were in service. And in ancient African kingdoms, eunuchs were actually highly respected. Um, they sometimes had positions of, of even some power uh, within um, the structure, the power structure. In this case, the eunuch is the treasurer of, of this kingdom. And, and, and that meant that he was actually uh, quite powerful in the sense that um, Nubia was 
really quite fabulously wealthy. It had gold deposits. It was on a trade route uh, to Egypt and to the Mediterranean. It's possible that he was the second most powerful person in this kingdom after the queen herself. But there's no getting around the fact that eunuchs were slaves, right? Um, they had been bound into service, not by their own choice. Uh, the eunuch's choice to live his life as he wished to live it had been taken away from him. So he was essentially a slave. But he was also, in this case, a seeker after God. And he sought after God with all his heart. He was a Gentile, which means that he was not of the seed of Abraham, but he had come to fear the God of Abraham. And his commitment to seeking the God of Abraham was so deep that he made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship him. And that was about 1,500 miles. Uh, And that was in a chariot. So it would have taken him three to four months in a chariot. Can you imagine day after day after day, nothing but you and the desert, no Spotify, no podcasts, no CD player, not even a tape deck, a lot of time for prayer, a lot of time for thought. He must have wondered what it would be like when he arrived in Jerusalem. I wonder if he spent time thinking about what it was going to be like when he finally set foot in the temple. Well, when he reached Jerusalem, the text doesn't tell us what happened, but history makes it pretty clear that he would have, he would have met with a very harsh surprise. And, and here, if I could have this slide of, of the temple. Let me show you a picture of, of the temple at this time. Um, so there's a large wall around the temple, as you can see, and then a courtyard called the Court of Gentiles. And in the center of the temple is what's called the inner precincts. And at the gateways to the inner precincts were permanent signs that warned Gentiles not to enter. And I have a picture of a fragment that's left of one of those signs. Um, and uh, you probably can't tell, but it's, it's in Greek. It's not in Hebrew. If you spoke Hebrew, you didn't need to know what this sign said. If you didn't speak Hebrew, you probably did need to know what this sign said. And uh, I have a, a, one more slide that's a, a, a translation of, of, this, of this sign. Here's what the sign said. It said, No foreigner, and you can read Gentile there for foreigner, no foreigner may enter within the balustrade around the sanctuary in the enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself shall be put blame for the death which will ensue. That's right. If you entered as a Gentile, you could be punished by death. Well, no problem, right? You know, this guy, he's a Gentile, but He's already converted in his heart. He worships the God of Abraham. He can just make his uh, conversion official and uh, become a proselyte. Well, there was a problem. He couldn't convert to Judaism because to convert to Judaism as a man meant you had to be circumcised. And the book of Deuteronomy makes it very clear. It says, no one who has been emasculated may enter the assembly of the Lord. So the eunuch had come all these miles only to be turned away from the temple. He would have to remain an outsider, literally. Talk about being burned by your religion. But here's the thing about the eunuch. He is a committed seeker. And here's how we know that he's really committed to seeking after God. Even after he's let down by the people of God, he doesn't give up on God himself. How do we know that? 
Because on the way back to Nubia, we see him intently reading God's word. And if that weren't enough, he remains committed to reading that word and grappling with it even when he doesn't understand it. It puzzles him. Perhaps it frustrates him. He could have given up and said, this doesn't make any sense. Who can understand this? He could have thrown the scroll out the window. I don't know if chariots had windows. Um, But instead, he chooses to wrestle, to wrestle with a passage. And as he was wrestling with his passage, here's what I'm imagining was happening. Imagine that he began to see himself in that passage, that Isaiah passage. Remember that Isaiah passage? It's about, who is it about? It's about a servant. He also is a servant. But it's not just about any servant. It's about a suffering servant. Well, he has suffered. And this suffering servant in the passage is described as a lamb that has been led to the slaughter, who, a servant who has been led like a lamb to the slaughter. Just as he, as a, as a young boy, was led to slaughter of a different kind. Um, like this suffering servant who remained silent like a sheep before its shears remained silent. So this young boy would have had no recourse, no choice in the matter of his future. He would have been unable to protest. So the eunuch knew what the suffering servant was talking about when it said that he had been deprived of justice. He too would never know the honor of bearing descendants. Well, I imagine that this word was speaking to his heart even if he didn't understand what it was saying. And I imagine that if he kept reading in the book of Isaiah, there was another passage that might have also spoken to his heart. And I don't have this on a slide for you. You have to listen. It's Isaiah 56, three through five. It's just three chapters later in the book of Isaiah. And here's what the prophet Isaiah says. Let no foreigner, remember we just heard that word foreigner, we saw it on the sign. Let no foreigner or Gentile who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Did you catch that? Did you catch that God is saying to the eunuch, if you hold fast to my covenant, you will have a place of honor. Where? within my temple, within the walls of my temple. And that honor and that name that I will give to you will be better than if you had many sons and daughters. So there's a chance that the eunuch might not have to be an outsider forever. No wonder he couldn't put down that scroll. Well, perhaps he prayed for understanding. Perhaps he asked God to send somebody who could make sense of these words to him. Or maybe simply that deep, unspoken longing in his heart was its own prayer. But either way, God saw that longing in his heart, and he sent a man to him, and that man was Philip. So let's look at Philip's story for a moment. Who's Philip? Remember two weeks ago, if you were here, Adam preached about a case of discrimination that was taking place in the early church. There were widows um, among two sets of people who were, there, was, there were widows um, who were Greek-speaking widows and widows who were Hebrew-speaking widows, and one of those groups was being overlooked in the distribution of food. Do you remember which one it was? 
the Hellenistic, the Greek-speaking Jews. They were being overlooked. They didn't speak the language of the Old Testament, right? Sometimes perhaps they were treated as second-class citizens or felt like second-class citizens. Well, thankfully, the apostles addressed this case of discrimination right away. They appointed seven men who were known to be wise and full of the Holy Spirit to oversee the food distribution and to ensure equity. And as Adam pointed out, um, those seven men were chosen from the Greek-speaking group, from the group that had been discriminated against. And Philip was one of those seven. So Philip helps to oversee food distribution among the widows and ensure equality. But he also starts to teach and preach. And when persecution hits the church, as we heard about last week with the stoning of Stephen, the believers scattered and Philip finds himself in Samaria. And so he starts sharing the good news of the Messiah in Samaria, and there are miraculous healings. And people who are oppressed by demons are delivered, and many people begin to believe and are baptized. This is all in the beginning of chapter 8 of Acts. You can read it there. And we hear the story of a man named Simon, who's a sorcerer, who amazed people with his sorcery, and even he becomes a baptized believer. So Philip watches this Almost this whole town changed by the gospel. So much is happening. The Holy Spirit is, 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 is so active um, that when, when word gets up to Peter and John, they come down to help Philip out. It's like way too much for one person. Um, and in the middle of all of this, this revival, as it were, an angel shows up to Philip. I'm imagining him tapping on his shoulder. And he says, go south to a road a road between Jerusalem and Gaza, a desert road, an isolated place. And depending on how you translate it, he could have said, the angel could have said, go there at noon, because the word that's translated as south is actually the same word for noon. And so no one would be on that road at noon. This was a very odd set of instructions. Philip is being asked to leave where the Holy Spirit is at work. But Philip obeys without questioning. And when he's on that road, he sees a remarkable sight. A sight that really could have only been arranged by God. Not only is there a person in this desolate place where there shouldn't be anyone, especially at this time of day, but it's a highly unusual kind of person for this place. A Nubian riding in a chariot, perhaps wearing luxurious African clothing as would have been fitting for his position. And as Philip was watching that Nubian, I wonder if in the back of his mind he was remembering Jesus' words, who said in Acts, in the very beginning of Acts, before he ascended, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Because he had been a witness in Jerusalem, and then after the persecution, he moved on to Samaria, and now before him was somebody who represented to the Roman mind the very ends of the earth because there was nothing south of Nubia as far as the Romans understood. So what happens next is no ordinary conversation. And I want to I sort of dive into this conversation because I think it's highly instructive for us. You see, Philip is an evangelist, and it would seem clear that he's been sent to, to share something with this Nubian of the good news of the gospel, but he does something counterintuitive when it comes to preaching the gospel. He listens. He doesn't cry out to the eunuch in the chariot, hey, stop, wait, I, I want to talk with you, I have something to tell you, and launch into a sermon. 
if he hadn't taken time to listen, how would he have known that the eunuch wasn't just reading the New York Times or the Washington Post? Uh, Because he listens, he notices precisely what the eunuch is reading. He's reading scripture. But it turns out he's not just reading any scripture. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. And he's not just reading the prophet Isaiah. He's actually reading a section in the prophet Isaiah, a number of chapters that talk about a suffering servant. But he's not just talking about that part of Isaiah, about a suffering servant, but he's talking about the passage in that section that describes that suffering servant as a lamb going to slaughter. It's one of the most messianic texts in the whole book of Isaiah, if not also in the whole Old Testament. So Philip listened long enough to hear what the uh, eunuch was reading and where he was in that that, uh, story of Isaiah. And probably he was also listening carefully enough to hear his tone of voice. Was the eunuch reading confidently as one who comprehends what he's reading? Probably not. He was probably reading with a sense of hesitation, bewilderment, inquisitiveness. And I imagine that Philip heard in the eunuch's voice a spiritual hunger. And that's the basis for the conversation that ensues. So how does Philip respond to the spiritual hunger that he hears in the eunuch's voice? He does not try to satiate that hunger by giving answers. He doesn't launch into a sermon. But rather, he piques the eunuch's hunger by asking him a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you see how invitational that is? I love that this conversation happens not on Philip's terms, but on the eunuch's. Philip relinquishes his right to direct this conversation where he would direct it. Perhaps that's because Philip is simply entering into a conversation that's actually already been happening, a conversation between the eunuch and God. Let me say that again. Philip isn't starting a conversation here. He's entering into a conversation that has already been taking place, a conversation between the eunuch and God. If you've been coming to church at the well for a while, you may have heard us uh, quote this definition of evangelism that I'm going to share. Um, And I'm going to share because I really like it. It really speaks to me. And I think it's true. Theologian Daryl Johnson defines evangelism as this. He says, evangelism is listening in on a conversation the spirit is having with another human being and speaking only if invited by the spirit or the other human being. Let me read that again. Evangelism is listening in on a conversation the spirit is having with another human being and speaking only if invited by the spirit or the other human being. Isn't that what's happening here in the story? I think that's precisely what's happening God is having a conversation with the eunuch. And Philip, it would seem, is being invited into that conversation by God. We, we have the angel directing him to this place. He is now in this circumstance that could have only been arranged by God. That seems like an invitation on God's part. What about the eunuch? Is the eunuch inviting Philip into this conversation? How can Philip know if the eunuch is inviting him into this conversation? It's not that complicated. He asks a question. Do you know what you're, do you understand what you're reading? With this question, Philip is actually giving the eunuch an opportunity to invite him into the conversation. And the eunuch says, tell me, please, 
Who is the prophet talking about? There's Philip's invitation. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is listening difficult for you, listening to others, or is it easy? What about listening to God? How do you begin to perceive what God is doing in another person's life? How do you begin to discern what he's doing in your own life? I think that Philip has a lot to teach us about listening. And I just want to, to point out quickly um, four examples in this interaction of where I see Philip listening particularly well. And these are things that we can take with us, I think, as well, as, as ways to listen, as ways we can think about listening well. First, what does Philip do? He gets on the level of the eunuch. He doesn't stop the chariot. He goes up to it and he walks or runs alongside the chariot. He's accommodating the eunuch. He's not asking the eunuch to accommodate him. He's meeting the eunuch where he's at. You know, when you're talking to a little child, it helps to get on their level, doesn't it? You can hear them more clearly, but you're also expressing a posture of attentiveness. I think that when we get on another person's level, here's what it says to them. It says, this conversation isn't about me. It's about you. I'm interested in what you have to say. So I'm talking about physical posture here. But I think there's also something to be said for placing ourselves on another person's level emotionally. And I, and I don't mean here taking on all of their sorrows. You know, only Jesus can really do that. But I do mean considering what it is in our own life experience that can help us to relate to another person's experience. And I imagine that Philip may have drawn on his own life experience to relate to the eunuch. Because remember, Philip was part of who? The Greek-speaking Jews, the group that had been discriminated against. He knew what it was like to be a second-class citizen, at least to some extent. And he would have been able to relate to the eunuch who also would have faced discrimination. When we're able to put ourselves in another's shoes, whether um, by physically um, getting on their level or emotionally, we posture ourselves to listen well, I think. Secondly, Philip takes time to listen. And the, and the, the key word here is time. Maybe not a long time, but at least a few moments. And a few moments can go a long way. Might it be helpful when we are listening to slow down to the pace of the person who we're listening to? And more importantly, to slow down to the pace of the spirit who is at work in their life, whom we are also listening to. You know, you can't listen when you're in a rush. Do we see Jesus rush? I think he's a great example for us in listening. Thirdly, when we take time to listen, it necessarily means we have to be quiet, right? We have to silence our tongue for a few moments. And Philip does this as well. You know, I know it's pretty obvious, but I think it's worth reminding ourselves that we can't listen when we're talking, right? We have to hold our tongue. And one of the things that happens when we hold our tongue, and these are the words of Richard Foster, he says, we put a stopper on all that self-justification. We starve for a moment that need that we often have to be the center of things, to control the flow of things. And in that quiet, as Philip was holding his tongue, I believe he was able to make a choice about the words he was going to speak. Were they going to be words about him? Or were they going to be words about the eunuch? 
That's what a few moments of silence can do. They can, ha- they can help us to choose words that are less about ourselves and more about the other. You know, John the Baptist, when he was talking about Christ, he said, he must increase, I must decrease. How can we decrease in such a way that God gives God room to increase in our conversations with other people? I believe that a few moments of silence can go a long way in helping us to live that truth. So finally, um, fourthly, we see Philip using one of the greatest tools for listening, um, and that is simply to ask a good question. I think asking a good question can help put someone in touch with their spiritual hunger, and it can help bring a lot of clarity about where they are spiritually, both to, to, to us, the listener, but also to them for their sake. Sometimes when you ask a question, it opens a door to a long conversation. And that's what happens, right? Philip ends up having a long conversation. He actually ends up speaking a lot. This is not just about listening, but it starts with listening. Um, But sometimes I think asking the question can actually be enough. Um, It seems to me that asking a good question is sometimes better than launching into a sermon. Jesus uh, knew that, I believe. I want to share just a brief story with you about a question that somebody asked me that made a big impact on my life. You could say it changed my life. When I was 16, I attended a a music and drama camp one summer, and I became really good friends with one of the counselors, and he he was a college student. He had come home for the summer, um, and his name was Josh, and he was a Christian. And I loved listening to Josh speak about his faith. And by the way, this was not a Christian camp, but um, in our time sort of outside uh, camp as we became friends, um, I just loved listening to hear him talk about his faith. He spoke with a gentle confidence that I had not seen before. There was a kind of settled knowing in his voice. Well, I believed in God, and I had grown up going to church every Sunday, uh, but I felt distant from God. And I saw something in Josh that I didn't have, but I didn't know what it was. And I remember one day early on in our friendship, very casually, he kind of asked me rather point blank, so how did you come to know God? Well, the truth was that I didn't have a personal relationship with God, but I didn't know that I didn't have a personal relationship with God until he asked me that question. Now, if I had been humble... (laughs) And a little bit uh, more wise, perhaps like the eunuch who responded to the question that Philip asked with another question, I could have asked uh, Josh, um, what do you mean by knowing God? Like, I'm really curious about that. Could you tell me more? But instead, I fumbled through this story that I made up on the spot, and it was really pathetic, and I made lots of references to like going to church and all the sacraments, and I tried to look like I knew what I was saying, but... I could hear my own voice and it almost was making me cringe because of how hollow my words were. I knew that there was no substance to them. Josh had so much grace in listening to me. And you know, at the end of my sharing that story that I kind of made up, it wasn't fiction. It was just that I didn't really know what I was saying. He, he didn't need, he didn't say anything. Like we just sort of moved on and talked about other things. And he didn't need to say anything because my inability to answer that question showed me my spiritual impoverishment. And that question made quite an impact on my life, obviously because I'm still talking about it today. 
Um, but it really became the, the door into a summer-long conversation that we had about spiritual things, and that's how I came to know the Lord. So how do we know whether we're invited to enter into the conversation that God is having with another person? And how do we listen well? Well, we can start by getting on that person's level, physically, perhaps also emotionally. We can take time, just a few moments, but take time to listen. We can hold our tongue until what we say is what serves that person. It's not about us. And finally, we can ask a good question or two. So this morning, we started off with the story of the African eunuch. We talked about Philip and his background and the conversation that they had on this desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza. And I want to take us back full circle to the Ethiopian and to the theme of seeking. And I want to speak a word of encouragement to seekers. And I just want to make clear that that's really all of us, isn't it? Because none of us are, are there. But some of us may be feeling like we can really relate to that eunuch. Perhaps you've wondered about God a lot in your life. Maybe, maybe you've prayed, but your words kind of seem awkward and he feels distant. Maybe you've opened his word and it's just left you puzzled or confused And maybe worse, maybe you've been burned by religion. You know, the eunuch thought he was going to meet God in Jerusalem, but where did he meet God? Not in the holy city. God showed up on a desert road in the middle of nowhere. Maybe you're on your way back from Jerusalem and you're disappointed because God didn't meet you there. And maybe you were even burned by his people. My word for you is keep seeking. Keep reading like the eunuch. Keep praying, and God will meet you. Even if it's in the most unexpected of places, he will go out of his way to find you. He will send someone your way from a distant land if he needs to because he loves you and because he cannot resist a seeking heart. The prophet Jeremiah says, or I should say God says through the prophet Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me, when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you. There's one prayer that God will never not answer. Lord, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for revealing yourself to the eunuch on the desert road in the middle of nowhere, for giving him the spirit to grapple with your word, even when he didn't understand it. Thank you for sending Philip. Thank you for Philip's obedience, Lord. I pray for those of us this morning who are hungry for you. May we all be hungry for you, Lord. And may you reveal yourself to the hungry heart. May you give courage to hold on and to keep grappling, Lord. May you give courage to forgive. Lord, would you meet with each one who is seeking, perhaps in an unexpected place, perhaps on the way home today, or going to work this week. And Lord, thank you that Philip gives us this example of listening, Lord, that teaches us 
a lot. Would you help us to listen and to listen well, Lord? Would you help us to be quick to listen and slow to speak, remembering to prefer others above ourselves, listening to others as an act of service, even as an act of of being your witnesses, Lord. Help us to be good witnesses by listening well, Lord. Thank you for inviting us into the conversation that you are having with other people. Help us, Lord, prepare our hearts, Lord, to, to, to enter into that conversation. Show us, Lord. Help us to come alongside uh, uh, the person that you are having a conversation with. Like Philip comes alongside that chariot, not to, to bust into the conversation, Lord, but just to listen and maybe be the contributor of a question. Lord, thank you for meeting with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 